I'm Laura Youngkin of The Brave Millennial. This is Lars Helgeson, CEO of Greenrope and author of CRM for Dummies. I'm Allison Bloom-Festock, the founder and CEO of Know Your Crew. This is Brad Van Dam, president and CEO of Marge Confectionery. And you're listening to High Level Wisdom for New Generation Theater. Hey, and welcome to season two. This is Chris Williams the host of High Level Wisdom for New Generation Leaders. I am your host. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you with a thousand thank yous if I could ever do such a thing. But season one, we learned a lot. I will say that as not only just a host, I'm a fan of CEOs. So I absolutely enjoy talking with CEOs and learning from them. And no uh, interview that I did was more important than the other. All of them were important. And I hope that you enjoyed uh, season one as well. Along with that, I'm going to ask a, a serious ask of you all as an audience listener right now while you're listening and wondering who am I going to introduce today? Um, I want your feedback. Your feedback is very, very, very important to the success of our show. There's a couple of ways you can do that. Number one, you can provide us a review on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you are listening right now. Leave us a review. Share this information. But more importantly, we have a survey link and that survey link can be found on our website, highlevelwisdom.com. You can find it in our social media post, but we are really needing your feedback. We want to make the show better. We want to make the interviews even better. We want to make the questions even better. I'm hey, I'm here to learn just as much as you are here to listen. So with that information in mind, feel free to share. Uh, tell us how you feel. Tell us who's been your favorite CEO. What have you learned? What have been some of the quotes that you've gotten from the show thus far? We're continuing to grow and learn and we want to do this with you. This is not us knowing it all. This is us growing as you a listener and me as a host. So with that being said, let's kick off season two. Season two is incredible. And we're going to start right out of the bat with not a baby boomer CEO, but, but a millennial CEO and somebody who has a very interesting company because this gentleman uh, not only has an interesting company, but a very interesting start in a background. He was born here in the United States, but at the age of 12 uh, started taking university courses. Yeah, I said it. I wanted to pause for the dramatic time for you to think about that. But uh, he went over to Germany and got his law degree from the University of Heidelberg, where he worked with some of the top law firms in the European Union. And then he came back to the United States in 2015 to start uh, not only continue to run a company he had while he was in Germany, but to form partnerships with another company to start Zuzler, which is ran out of Cincinnati, Ohio. And they are fascinating people, a great group of folks. Now, Zuzler basically is uh, a startup program. They really help uh, companies with their startups in the technology space get up and running uh, quickly, might I even add in some cases. Uh, but they have the Zuzler Venture Network, which brings in over 35,000 investors to be able to help uh, in all shapes sizes and forms companies, not just financially, but the resources, the information, everything you can think of. This company does it. And the head of this company is a millennial. His name is Paul Powers. This interview you are about to hear today is absolutely fascinating. This gentleman has a very, very uh 
uh, old school style, if I can say that, about how he approaches work from his work ethic and, and, and his belief, but also uh, able to adapt and move quickly uh, because he's a millennial and he understands technology uh, at its core. So sit back, relax, listen to episode 28, my interview with Paul Powers, the CEO of Zoozler. Take a listen. Paul, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Chris? I am doing well. Now, I don't want to spoil the fun. I always ensure that you as a CEO get an opportunity to share up front with our audience exactly what you do. So I know I gave a small bit of background, but go ahead and share with the audience a little bit about how did you start? Where, you know, let's even go back to the age of 12, I guess, even if we have to pick up from there. But what was kind of your, you know, uh, push to be, you know, a kid at 12 years old taking college courses and thinking of, you know, starting up a tech company? Walk people through that process and then share also a little bit about Zoosler. Like, how did you how did you come up with it? What things are you guys kind of uniquely positioned and why are you guys growing so fast to the point of a thousand times the past year? I mean, that, that's pretty incredible. And so just share with the audience a little bit of that background. Sure. Thank you so much for the intro. Um, you know, my goal has always been, since I was a kid, um, to leave behind a footprint pointed in the right direction. And uh, one of my biggest interests, or I would say my interest when I was, uh, you know, my entire life has been in science and technology. Uh, later on, as I got a little bit older, I realized that in order to really make a difference, I need to actually lead people. Um, in order to do that efficiently. Um, so I started companies pretty young, and um, you know, I decided to take a kind of unique path. I uh, went to law school in Germany, and the thought behind that was that um, you know, a unique path will always bring with it some sort of a hidden value. And um, you know, to my knowledge, I was the first one uh, from who's you know, native-born, pure American, <laughs> to pass that, uh, the German bar. And um, I would not say that that specifically gave me any knowledge that's helped me over here. But I think that that both the distinction of having that degree and the connections I've got from it and also the experience of getting it have helped me tremendously. Um, when I came back to the United States, I uh, actually was working together with um, a large company over in, uh, in Germany. We had a um, pretty large partnership agreement. And uh, the company morphed into what is now Zuzlar. So we took on that name in 2016. So the company name is actually only about 18 months old, maybe. And uh, what we do is essentially we started on the enterprise side. You know, we had a lot of contacts on Fortune 500 companies and um, you know the DAX 30 companies in Germany, and we did a lot of tech development for them. But you know, our passion, or I should say, my passion in particular, was always to develop. You know, much more cutting edge technology and help people who are you know, true innovators. You know, I've always said that our goal is to build tomorrow's giants so that our kids have shoulders to stand on. Um, and that's kind of what Zuzler stands for. Um, the name might not sound like it means anything, but if you um, look at the logo very carefully and abstractly for a while, you might kind of see how we derive this. Uh, Zuzler actually stands for being an agent of infinite change in a finite period of time versus hmm being an agent of no change. Awesome. With the Z's and the O's. Yep. <laughs> and uh, what we have now is we've actually been able to build over the past year, especially um, the most, uh, to our knowledge anyway, we may not be the most, but definitely one of the most selective startup programs uh, in the world. We have about 500 applications a week that we receive. 
um, and it would it would take maximum one that we would actually start working with. Wow. Um, and that's both for Venture Network and a tech lab. Uh, so Zuzu Venture Network consists of over 35,000 investors around the world. Wow. And um, I did not build that. I have, cannot take credit for that <laughs> at all. Uh, but we worked with, uh, you know, I guess if there's one thing that I've learned to do uh, okay, it's been to connect people um, who have better skills than I do. And, um, you know, I was able to connect with Donald McGowan and uh, several other individuals who, you know, collectively brought quite an impressive Rolodex to the table. And, you know, from that, we formed this network and we're able to bring in, you know, thousands of investors into any given um, startup deal and get quite a lot of action for the startups that we select. Um, and the tech lab, this is a tech lab. Everyone's um, here in the United States. We have full-time employees. We don't outsource anything. Um, we have about 30 full-time developers right now. And, um, you know, the focus for them is to develop technology, especially for startups. And the other part of our company is the growth portion. And that consists of some of the U.S.'s um, top sales and marketing experts, um, as well as a team that's dedicated to videography, digital marketing, and strategy. So the theory of it is that Zoozler is really a company to help build other companies to succeed. Nice. Now, as you know, most of the time when you talk in a startup, and especially on the tech side, there's always the gap between I got a great idea, the entrepreneur, and the money. How do you feel that Zoozler is best positioned to be able to make the bridge, the gap between those three areas in order to truly be able to help a company go from just a small startup to actually a full size scalable business? No one's good at everything. A great entrepreneur is going to it should not be spending all their time trying to figure out how to build an app or how to code something. And at the same time, it's a waste of their time to be going after hundreds of VCs or hundreds of angel groups. Um, it's much better for an entrepreneur to focus on what they're good at doing. So we look for, first and foremost, the right individuals, more so than the idea. Um, and we want to make sure that there's a good relationship between that individual and the idea that they have. Um, in my opinion, a, a great financial CEO of a startup company is somebody who has experience in a certain market, knows people in that market, and understands the customer mentality, and then that does not really require that they know how to code anything or that they have a million investor connections. So we're trying to bridge the gap by bringing both the investment side, if necessary, and then also the tech side, if necessary. At the same time, uh, I should clarify that our program is not an accelerator or an incubator, and this is not all um, a must. This is an as-needed, if-needed program. So if you already have investment money, there's no need to find about, you know, for us to help with investment. If you already have technology, we're not going to demand that anything is built through us. We just look for the right opportunities. Awesome. Good deal. So, and you've done all of this as a young man, um, according to, I'm sure a lot of the investors you probably work with, and I'm sure the more that you, um, you expand Zoosler, you are starting to probably see uh, differences, right? On how the, 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 which I want to get into the focal point of this conversation is on how, you know, baby boomers and millennials are actually going about their work. So what I want to start with is your journey has been one that has been very unique um, in, in its nature. So as you mentioned, you found some hidden values along the way. 
what has been kind of the thing being a a millennial that now that you sit at the helm of this awesome company, what have you noticed along the way when dealing with baby boomers that have kind of been like your aha moments, the things that make you go, oh, that actually is a good thing that we should learn to leverage as young people, even though you're the CEO, right? But just in general, what are those some of those things that you've noticed when all the interactions that you're having with with baby boomers who are uh, influential in their own right in their space, especially when you start talking about the world that you work in in tech? I think the relationship between baby boomers and millennials is, um, I wouldn't say that it's unique. I would say that anytime that you have an older generation and the younger generation, you have the same problem. Um, the disconnect seems to be that both millennials and baby boomers have this, not all, but many of them have this feeling that they are the best generation, you know, this young generation, they don't know how to work anymore. And the, uh, baby boomers don't understand technology and they're living in the past. Um, you know, this has been the theme throughout history, right? Uh, the truth is somewhere in the middle, um, Reality, if you're a millennial listening to this, my recommendation to you would be to actively seek out relationships with baby boomers. There's a lot to be learned from your elders. Um, they've already made the mistake you're about to make. <laughs> it's <laughs> a lot true. better to uh, it's a lot better to learn from them than to have to go through all the same experiences that they or their predecessors went through. So there's a lot to be learned from baby boomers in regards to wisdom, and especially when it comes to dealing with people. You know, people are something that are, they're somewhat static. They're not going to change a whole lot. Um, and our basic psychology, knowing how to deal with people is something that a baby boomer is likely going to have much more experience with than millennial. At the same time, you can't, uh, it would be wrong to say that baby boomers are the, you know, superior generation and they, you know, always deserve to be at the helm of a company. Uh, millennials bring great uh, perspective as well. Uh, they're much more in tune with modern technology, with current trends. And um, that's something that you have to learn how to leverage when you go into a company. So if you're in somebody else's company that's run by a baby boomer, my recommendation would be make it clear that you actually bring a value to that company. Um, not by only, not, not just by bringing the value, but also by making it parent that you're bringing that value to them. And if there's new technology, make sure that you underline the economic value of that technology, not just how cool it is. Um, one of the things that you'll realize about baby boomers, since they're not caught up in the hype of modern trends and technology quite as much as millennials are, is they're not going to care about how cool something looks as much as they will about how much value it's going to bring. That's good. So there's a lot of leverage that you can bring to the table, but it's very important to understand that there's advantages on both sides. Absolutely. So diving a little further into into that thought, when you you being now the at the helm of this company, there was obviously a path that you take that was, you know, it taught you some things. And then all of a sudden, one day you look up and you're sitting as the executive. What would you say as an executive has been um Something for you that has been a learning process because you're a young executive working with plenty of, of older counterparts in your space. How did you get to a point where you were able to 
gain that respect, build that sort of trust? What was kind of some of the things that have happened along your career that, you know, that now as a CEO has been kind of your your takeaways and things that you can still do, you know, because before being an individual contributor, of course, it's, you know, it's one way. But as you mentioned, for you, it was more important that if you were going to actually bring about change, you had to lead. So so what was kind of that journey like and, and how has that helped you now as a CEO running this type of company? So to answer the first part of that question, um, my experience with baby boomers and people who are, you know, my elder, um, the most important thing when you're interacting with other people, in my opinion, in a professional setting, is to place yourself in a situation where you're consistently the least intelligent and the poorest person in that room. Uh, that way you can only go up. And I think a lot of people tend to do the opposite. So it's wise to spend time around baby boomers. I actually try to partner with them as much as I can because there's no point in me partnering with somebody who brings the exact same skill set to the table that I do. I'm Absolutely. just copying myself. Um, look for people who have something that you're missing. Know what your weaknesses are and admit what they are and then find somebody who can complement those. I think that's probably one of the most important things that I've learned over the years. And working with as many baby boomers as I have, um, it's become apparent, abundantly clear to me that they bring a totally different skill set to the table than I'm able to bring. I think one of the things that I've um, learned and been able to contribute more to my company than I could have years ago from this experience has been what I've learned in my interactions with baby boomers. Uh, one thing, for example, is the immense value of always reading, always learning. Um, you know, I used to listen to radio, uh, to music on the radio when I would drive around. Now I very rarely do. I listen to audiobooks constantly. Um, because I was you know, told by a colleague of mine who is older than me that that would be a very beneficial thing to do, and I did, and that was immensely helpful. Uh, more importantly, though, I learned the importance of in-person networking. Mm. You know, I'm completely convinced uh, and will buy into the role of technology. So I'm the, I'd be the first person to tell you if there was a more efficient way of spending your time than driving to an event going through all the you know, things that take up your time and then talking to just a few people and coming all the way back home when if you were on social media, you could have reached out to 300 times as many people as you did at that event. The truth is that in-person networking is infinitely more powerful than reading long articles or doing a soft touch, if you will, to hundreds of thousands of people. It's not What's important isn't so much how much information you're taking in, it's how much information you're able to retain and I feel you retain more information and people retain more information about you and more respect for you when you meet with them in person, actually shake their hand and engage with them one-to-one. -one. I think that's been something that I've learned over the years. My experience over in Germany uh, gave me an opportunity to experience that before I had to learn it the hard way. I think some of the unique things that I learned were uh, an immense work ethic, the you know, having to study and work as many hours as I did taught me, you know, how to stay under control of myself and my emotions and uh, be extremely disciplined with my time, organizing things by priority. But more importantly, I think it's taught me how to deal with people who are by nature, you know, very successful individuals who are, in, in the case of Germany, they were always older than I was. I was the youngest employee in the law firm. 
Um, and I dealt with many CEOs of many large companies, and I really learned a lot from my interactions with them. And so when I came back to the United States, I think that I had a, I definitely was not, you know, completely ready or fully educated. I still make mistakes to this day and have plenty of room to grow. But I feel like that helped give me a bit of a wisdom bump, if you will, uh, when I got started. So I had a little bit of an um, introspective. I had the opportunity to learn a little bit um, from these higher level older CEOs and how they dealt with people. And that helped me tremendously when I came back here. Absolutely. So, you know, when you think about um, someone who is who is younger, 25 to 35, who may be working inside of a company and eventually at some point they come to the realization to say, you know what, I do want to be an executive in this company. I do want to be able to provide value in such a way that is noticeable and to be able to contribute, you know, at this particular level, which, you know, whatever that executive role is. I'm curious as to your thoughts around what should someone do when they come to that decision that can help them along the path? Because as you may know, someone younger might be listening to this and saying, well, yeah, but, you know, having a hard time being heard or it seems like there's, you know, closed door kind of ivory tower sort of, you know, situations or, you know, there's 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 some sort of impediment. Right. What would you say to someone that, who wants to be able to start on that journey and that path moving towards executive leadership in a company? The first thing you should do is you should lock yourself in a room and fix the way that you think before you take any action. Uh, I think that your mindset is infinitely more important than how much action you're taking. Your actions aren't going to take you where you want to go if you don't have the right mentality. Uh, you need to understand what your target is. If your goal is to enter the C-suite, you need to start thinking as if you're already there. How would you think if you were an executive right now? What would you do? What would be expected of you? And start acting that way. Live that role. Provide that value. And that one rule that I would hi highlight for people, especially for some millennials, I, don't, I think it's a bit exaggerated um, to say that this is true of all millennials, but some really do have this entitlement feeling and think that they deserve something. Um, that will not, first of all, it's not true, but more importantly, it's definitely not the mentality of a baby boomer. So keep the mentality in your mind that you don't deserve anything. You have to earn everything that you want. And um, not only do you have to provide value by doing that, but it needs to be seen by somebody. So in summary, I would say take on that role, bring that value that you're expected to bring, make it clear to leadership that you're providing it, and if you have smart leaders in that company, then you should be able to get into the C-suite time is right. And I would expect that to be sooner than later if you're really doing that job. If you're not able to break into the C-suite and they're you know, not able to see what you're doing or they're too dumb to see it, then at least you've proven it and you can replicate that in another company in front of people who will actually appreciate your work. Absolutely. So being willing to make that leap, right, is is definitely important. And so... In, in a lot of this, I'm, I'm interested to know in life, there's always trade-offs. I truly believe that there might be some fundamental differences in the trade-offs that you'd make being an executive as an older person versus saying, I'm going to be an executive at 35 years old and run a large company that's, you know, worldwide and known. What have been some of the trade-offs that you feel you've made younger in your life uh, in order to be a millennial CEO of a very large company? 
That's a great question. Uh, I don't feel like I've really had to trade off anything because I love what I do. Um, I feel, if I'm understanding the question correctly, a trade-off would be if I were to lose something in return. Uh, sure, I have a lot less free time than my peers um, by age. You know, uh, they go out much more often than I do. They have hobbies, many more hobbies than I have. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, and they're able to catch up on Netflix much more regularly than I can. But I don't consider that to be a trade-off. Um, you know, I actually tend to get bored very quickly. Uh, if it's Sunday and nothing's going on, sometimes I'll go to the office just because I don't know what to do with myself at home. Um, and I think that, and I don't think that that's something that's unique to me or something that's inherently part of my character. I think that's something that's learned over time. Sure. If you really produce and you're effective when you're working and not just working for the sake of working, you'll actually start to become addicted to the feeling of success. You'll love the feeling of being productive and knocking things off. It'll become, this might not be the best analogy, but it'll almost gamify the uh, your, your work and you'll enjoy it. Absolutely. And every other game pales in comparison to your own life. So mm -hmm. I don't feel like it's a trade-off. Um, a lot of people ask me, what do you do in your free time? And I say, I I go to work and I enjoy it. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> um, that being said, if you don't see yourself as someone who's able to take on that sort of a mindset and you know you f feel that um, additional time at home away from what your work would be is necessary, um, you really might want to think about what kind of a role you're going into and if it's right and if you can adjust it. There are lots of CEOs who run their companies very, very differently from me. Uh, I'm a workaholic. I'm happy to admit it. Uh, I have no problem with it. There are people, though, who are extremely family-oriented. I don't have any children. You know, I know many people who do. But I know people who have children and have a very active family life, and they're able to incorporate their business into that. So if you're thinking that you're trading it off, I would say that you're probably viewing your job incorrectly. And in fact, that word is incorrect. I would never view it as a job, and I would also try to get rid of the word work. Uh, view it as a career, as, your, as a single life goal. I wouldn't view it as balance. I think balance is a, is a poor term uh, that people use too much. You shouldn't have to choose between your career goals and your personal goals. They should be aligned somehow. Sure. And so I, ideally, you should not make a trade-off. You should find a way of balancing the There you go, using that word again. You should find a way of integrating <laughs> the two so that you don't have to find balance. And, and I think that you, you've said that, you know, better probably than, than I could. And I, and I think that that's probably part of the struggle, right? Um, for, for anyone who's career-minded, um, I think we all reach that space, especially if you're working in a large firm. So this would in this particular portion would kind of exclude, uh, you know, CEOs and the like. But if you decide that, hey, I want to be a part of a company, I want to eventually ride to the you know, area of of executive leadership, you run into this idea. You know, I, I, I completely agree with you. I think it's just a change of mindset in, in the way we think about it. But many people would be sitting there going, oh, if I take that role, then that means I'm going to have to be like, you know, uh, Paul, who works all day, every day, <laughs> never is off, doesn't enjoy it. And I and because one of the things that I noticed in, in, in corporate work and it's all over, it's it's whether it's whether it's your CEO of individual contributor, everyone has kind of these unwritten rules of success. And we base that on the person that we're looking at. And I love the fact that you said it's not, you know, you're you're comfortable where you are, but there are also other people who have who do it the same way. They just have different ways of going about it. 
And so a lot of people kind of get caught up in this unwritten rule of success that says, well, if I don't do it just like Paul did it, then it obviously must mean that I can't be successful because, you know, they care about their dog. <laughs> they care about their, you know, they, they really do care about their family. They don't want the, 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 the climbing to that particular role to be, um, an impediment to reaching their goals. So I guess when you think about that, how does, um, how have you been able to watch and, you know, what other, you know, advice that you may have heard from other people that do do it differently than Paul? Um, how have you seen the way they approach it seem to work for them? Uh, you know, as they, as they work as executives or as they, you know, uh, work even as an individual contributor in your company. Well, one rule that I would say applies to everybody, myself included, no matter how hard you work, is that it's not really about how many hours you spend in the office. You know, I could spend 20 hours a day at work playing Minecraft. It wouldn't do anything for me. What's <laughs> uh, much more important is what you achieve during the day. If you go to work for two hours and close giant deals and make great uh, you know, partnerships and then go home, that's fine. It's much better than a 20-hour day where you do nothing. Uh, so if you have a lifestyle that demands that you're only at the office or only actively working a certain amount of day, it's just more important that you are extremely vigilant about how you're spending your time. My recommendation and what I've seen a lot of people do in that predicament is to be unbelievably organized about how you spend every minute. Um, you know, a friend of mine once said that if he is going to take a break to eat a cookie, it'll be on his calendar. And uh, I'm not quite that obsessive, but I'm close to it. Uh, everything that I do, I, even, I plan time to think. I plan time to respond to emails. Uh, my calendar is always full, and everyone thinks that I'm going to 400 meetings simultaneously. Sometimes, normally I'm not. Those are actually notes for myself. At this time, do this, then do this, then do that. And normally it's by priority. In the morning you do the most important thing, then the second most important thing, etc. The reason that I work as long as I do is because since I enjoy it so much, I figure why not, I'm able to get down to those lower priorities and add a little bit of value. But I think that if I were to cut my time from you know, 12, 16 hours and, you know, a day down to 8 hours a day or 10 hours a day, I don't think that it would cut my productivity in half. I think it would probably reduce it by about 25%. So it's, you know, after a certain point, if you really are working by list of priorities, you're not really adding a ton of value. So it's absolutely false to say, if you want X role, you have to have Y time. You don't need to have that amount of time unless it's dictated by somebody else. A good example is when I worked at the law firm, you had to, you were expected to work insanely long hours and there was not really anything you could do with regard to prioritization or anything that would fix that. And if that's the case, if you have somebody else dictating how much time you spend doing whatever, and there's not a way for you to be you know, self-determinative of how you spend your time, then it really comes down to a, a, your own prioritization. You know, not every role is right for every person. And I don't think that um, it has to be. And if you find yourself in a, in a job where you have to work 12, 16-hour days, seven days a week, and your lifestyle or something about you doesn't fit with that, you might want to reconsider the career that you're in. And in some cases, you might want to look into becoming independent. Uh, there is a myth around starting your own company that you have to work, you know, 
20 hour days, seven days a week to get to be successful. You don't have to. Most people find themselves doing it, but that doesn't mean that it's mandatory. If you're running your own business, you can manage your time however you want. But I would caution people who think that they'll go out and start a business today and make money tomorrow. It typically does require a lot of effort. Now, yes, we are kicking off season two with a loud bang. And I'm so thankful. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for being a part. Thank you for growing with me, following us and myself in this journey. If you would like to be able to share your information and ideas and thoughts on what you've learned from this interview, there's a couple of ways you could do that. Help us out while we help you. You can definitely find us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the handle High Level Wisdom. Altogether, you'll find us there. Also, if you want to go to our website, highlevelwisdom.com, take our survey. It helps us to be able to continue to grow and build. And so we really, really would appreciate your feedback as we do that. Also, if you are interested or might know a CEO that you think might be a good fit, we would like to kind of pre-interview them, if you will. Feel free to send me an email, chris at highlevelwisdom.com. And I look forward to talking to each and every person. Well, as you know, as we do in two days, you will hear part two of my interview with Paul Powers, the CEO of Zuzu. Until we talk again, hope you have a great day. Take care. Now, as we kick off season two, I know that you are just excited as I am as the host who gets to talk to very fascinating CEOs around the country and around the world. Well, this particular space that you're listening to right now should be where we're talking about your product or service. Absolutely. If you would like to learn how to purchase this space right here, feel free to send me an email at chris at highlevelwisdom.com or you can find out more information about how you can advertise with us right here right now by going to highlevelwisdom.com forward slash advertise. Maybe with your company, you're interested in ranking on the first page of Google when people search for your company. Maybe you're a celebrity and you're looking to continue to build. Maybe as a CEO, you know you don't have time to work on the future of your company because everybody's kind of working on the day to day. Well, you need Serendipity Interactive. Yes, they are a marketing technology firm that provides strategy formulation, implementation, and most importantly, they get results. If you even go and find highlevelwisdom.com on Google right now, you will see that we are number one. It's because they have helped people like myself who are small and they can help you as a CEO, as a large company, as a small company. They will help you make the fortunate discoveries that you need in order to take your company to the next level. Go to their website today, serendipityinteractive.com, in order to find out more information about how they can help you make fortunate discoveries in your company.